This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another Mike Missanelli Podcast, sponsored by the great people at Bet Rivers. Don't forget to download that Bet Rivers app for all your betting needs, and hopefully, you bet the Phillies last night. This is podcast episode number 18. We're doing it Wednesday, November 2nd. Of course, later tonight, the Phillies in game four against the Houston Astros at Citizens Bank Ballpark. And uh, they win 7-0 last night. They're up 2-1. Tonight, Nola versus Christian Javier. Javier. Now, um, uh, will Javier be spooked by this crowd? I mean, I can't imagine... Uh, that this crowd won't get to him like it got to Lance McCullers last night. So I'll say ahead of time, Christian, if you're listening, good luck, kid, because you're in for a mess tonight. Uh, listen, I said a few weeks ago, the Phillies had that look. Now, you can get carried away with that, right? You go, all right, they have that look. It's easy to say that. Do they really have the look? Well, Tuesday night's game was another classic example of having that look. The Citizens Bank Park thing, folks, is real. It spooks the enemy. This big, bad Houston team last night, they looked feeble and impotent. Yeah, impotent. Somehow they need to find some baseball Viagra, and I don't think that really exists. I am convinced the baseball gods are lurking somewhere in the background saying, nah, nah, Astros, not this year. Um, the, the other story is so much better. And the other story is this 2022 Phillies team. Um, you can't look at it like they're the ultimate underdogs anymore, that they got in with 87 wins, and uh, they got in as the lowest seed in the tournament, and if it was last year, they wouldn't even have gotten in. I mean, it, 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 all that stuff is irrelevant now because they look like the best team in baseball right now. Consider this. This is – the Phillies – came into this series and everybody's saying, oh, you know, the, the, here's the way they have to win. They have to win with their with their top two starters and then hope they can survive. And they had the, uh, the edge with, uh, with Nola and, and Wheeler. And instead, the opposite has come true, which is really telling. They are 5-0 in games not started by Nola or Wheeler. And, and last night, they get away with not using their best relievers. They throw... Brogdon, Gibson, Nelson, Bellotti at the Astros, and the Astros couldn't do anything about it. The Astros look like they have the life sucked out of them. I, listen, I know there are many more games in this series, but does that Houston team look like the Houston team that we're used to seeing with this swagger? Their offense stinks right now. Their, their big hitter has, has been reduced to rubble. Bregman can't get a hit. Altuve went back last night did not, to, to, you know, to being a, a, a – the guy who, who's just the average Altuve. And, uh, and so let's look at the starting pitcher they threw out there last night. Because supposedly the Houston Astros had the edge in pitching, starting pitching depth. So they throw Lance McCullers out there. 
Now, here's what you hear about Lance McCullers. Oh, my God, that guy's their third starter. He would be a, a one and two in, in any other team. I look how deep they are. So he goes out there last night, and here's the telling sign about Lance McCullers that I knew he had jelly legs. The crowd is up. First batter of the game is Schwarber. He walks the leadoff hitter. You walk the leadoff hitter, you're not mentally plugged in. You're scared. You're afraid to give up a home run, so you pitch carefully. First batter of the game, he's pitching that way. He's nervous. I go, walking the leadoff hitter is not a good sign for the Astros. Uh, and, and the Phillies are just students of the game right now uh, on offense. Here's what they did last night. Now, there, there are a couple theories about Lance McCullough that he was tipping his pitches, he was doing that. I don't know. I, I, to me, there's a simpler reason. They eliminated the fastball. The kid was afraid to throw fastballs. Everything he threw was breaking stuff. He relied on what he does best, which is breaking stuff. But you have to establish your fastball because if you're a good hitter, you go, I don't, I don't have to sit on fastball. They're not going to throw it to me. I will sit on his breaking stuff and hope it's in the middle of the plate. And it's exactly what it was last night. It was in the middle of the plate. And here's the beauty of, of how I know the Astros are just completely mentally out of it. I saw that. They apparently didn't see it. They sat uh, on, on, their, on their hands and, and the game plan with the pitcher connected to the catcher, connected to the pitching coach, connected to the manager, never adapted. After inning one, the pitching coach is going to say, listen, I, I think that maybe they're eliminating your fastball. we got to change it up here. They never changed it up. Uh, was he tipping his pitches? I mean, there's some video. There's some shots I saw on Twitter that indicated that his leg lift was, uh, was such on breaking pitches and such on fastballs. I, I, think it was, I think it was simpler than that. Let's take the moment where uh, Harper crushes the home run. And then he calls back Bohm. And everybody saw it, right? Uh, it's funny because uh, I'm looking at Twitter and people are criticizing uh, Ken Rosenthal for asking the question. You got to ask the damn question. Everybody saw Harper call Bohm over there. So what did he say to Bohm? Now, you can go and, and say, well, hey, listen, he's tipping his pitches. He's got his glove at a 30-degree angle or he's got this and that. To me, it's just simple. Harper says to him, dude, this guy does not throw breaking balls to right-handers. We've studied the book. Most of his breaking stuff will come to left-handers. He's trying to stay away from Schwarber, from me, from more, whatever left-handers in that lineup. He throws breaking stuff. His effectiveness with the breaking stuff is mostly against left-handers than right-handers. So he tells Bohm, he's not going to throw you a breaking pitch. He's probably going to throw you a fastball first pitch, which is kind of, has like a little sinking action. So what happens? First pitch, he throws him a sinker. He throws him a sinker. Bones geared up for it. Bang! Home run. The Phillies are like, they go to class. The, the, their offense goes to class. And, and they study little tendencies like that. And the Astros sit there and they go, well, uh, yeah, it looks like uh, the Phillies are eliminating the fastball, but we're not going to change the pattern. That's a team that's beat. That's the team that's got kicked in the ass. Last night, I saw a team. This is for really the first time that I had the notion that Phillies are going to win this World Series. And, and I'm convinced of it now because the Astros don't look like the same team. They have been drained. They've been spooked. They've been stabbed and they're bleeding out. Now, I, I guess they could, they could turn it around. I mean, they, they're a pedigree team. But from what I saw last night, when you get your ass kicked like that, like, I, I don't know what that means for the rest of the series, whether, whether you can actually regroup. And we'll look at it to see if they can regroup because there are some, some pitching matchups that, that come up in this situation. Um, here's an example of how they were scared. Martin Maldonado is up, and I forget what inning it is, but he gets a 3-0 count. He's got a 3-0 count. He pegs three straight. 3-0 count, he's got the advantage of the count and he's afraid to pull the trigger. Uh, that, to me, is telling. Um, also, Suarez. Let's talk about Ranger Suarez. You know, for a long time, I didn't get it either. Uh, but uh, I, I'm looking at him, and I go, he knows how to pitch. You know, I'm a guy who loves the power pitcher, right? A guy like Suarez, who has to hit spots. 
you know, it, it, it's possible, but he's been brilliant. Um, his fastball, which is not that great, is unhittable. There was one point in that game where they flashed that up a stat that the opposition was three for 29 versus Suarez's fastball in the postseason. Well, how are you three for 29 with, with a fastball that's 94, 95 tops? He's, he's throwing it to spots that you can't handle. And you got to give the guy credit. He's he's a calm guy. I look at him, I go, you know, it's the World Series. It, he doesn't really care about that. Now, I, I don't know how you get that kind of mentality, but he's got it. He's a Venezuelan, and, and maybe he's going through much harder stuff than we can ever imagine. And he comes and plays Major League Baseball, and it's a, it's a lark for the kid. So uh, let's look at a moment where well, he was sailing around. And uh, producer Darren, who was with us in the background, and we are texting during the game. And uh, you texted me that Ranger was just unhittable. I did. And, and I said to you the other day, of every pitcher on the staff right now, he has the most, I have the most confidence in Ranger right now. And by the way, after last night, he is a dark horse World Series MVP candidate. He might be because he might have to pitch game but, seven. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and we'll get to that in a second. But um, so he gets into a, a little chart. Like he's sailing along, and I'm going, and they got Bilotti warming up. And I'm going, boy, you know, I know Thompson uh, plays this script every time, and he sticks to it. But the way he's throwing, I'm not so sure you need Bilotti in this game at this point. I mean, maybe Ranger, you get one more inning out of Ranger. His pitch count was low. Uh, and then he, he started to lose it a little bit. Um, and, and he, uh, there are two outs. He's at McCormick walk Maldonado to center. They had first and third, uh, at that particular situation. And now Tubi's coming up and I'm thinking, well, you know, he's got Bilotti up. Uh, so he'll probably bring Bilotti in against the right hander. But then I look at the pen. He's by Bilotti sitting down. He's got Alvarado now up thinking that, okay, we'll, we'll use Alvarado when we need to against Alvarez or Kyle Tucker. And, and so this is going to be Rangers inning. And so he lets him face Altuve, and he gets the third out. He gets Altuve to pop up. And so in the game, I'm looking at the game, and I go, this dude against the Astros has gotten three, three up, three down innings, and he's only given up three hits. Now, against the Astros, you get three up, three down innings very infrequently, and he did it last night. Um, so, uh, all right, let, let, let's look at the now the bottom of the fifth where the Phillies put it away. Marsh singles. Schwarber, again, eliminating the fastball. Gets a changeup. You know how hard it is to hit a cha- to have a timing on a changeup where you drill it 425 feet to the backdrop in center field? Seriously, you, you have to be on a changeup. You have to say, okay, he's throwing me off speed here. I'm on it. Because normally you're not going to get the bad head that that much, especially a guy like that. I mean, he's used to hit fastballs. His bat speed is incredible. For him to have the the discipline to just sit there, keep his hands quiet, and hit a changeup to dead center field, it, all these little signs add up when you look at what the Phillies are doing. They're fearless, and the other team last night was spooked. And then Hoskins hits the bomb to left field. Sitting on a breaking ball, hit a breaking ball, bang, and Dusty Baker is is in the dugout fiddling with his thumbs. This dude is giving up bombs, and and he doesn't think that it's not McCullers' night. And by the time he thought about it, it was too late. He brings that Ryan Stanek and finally, who looked good by the way, and um uh, and, and finally gets out of the inning. But Dusty Baker has been asleep on the job. He has been asleep on the job. This is the world freaking series. And you gave Verlander too much rope. And this dude last night giving up rockets. They're on him completely. Either they know he's tipping his pitches or they've strategically figured out that that he's not going to throw fastballs. And if you're the manager and the pitching coach, you got to figure that stuff out. You got to be Martin Maldonado and go, hey, Skip, we got to make a move here. And, And they didn't make the move. And, and, and this is why I look at Houston as a team that is completely depleted. So let, let's let's look at now what, what is ahead of us. Um, you got Nola, who has not really established himself yet. 
I don't know what to think of Nola. I mean, you know, pitching this game tonight, you feel a little comfortable because he has shown in this postseason that he can deliver, but sometimes he doesn't deliver. The Astros are are now a uh, a desperate team. So um, here's what I know: the team that wins Game Three wins the series sixty five percent of the time. Here's also what I know: if Nola gets into trouble. There's no way Thompson's going to continue to go with him because he's got a rested bullpen. He saved his entire bullpen last night. The Bulls didn't even get up. Alvarado threw some warm-up pitches. He's got those guys available for tonight if Nola gets into any trouble at all. And if the Phillies win this game, the series is over. Uh, there's no way that Houston's coming back for, from a 3-1 deficit. Now, you got Syndergaard in the bullpen in Game 5. If you win this game, that doesn't matter a lick. If Houston somehow figures out a way with uh, Christian Javier to beat Nola tonight, then Houston has a little life because in game five, you got Syndergaard and a bullpen against Verlander. And and although Verlander has not really shown anything, he's still Verlander. And in a matchup against Syndergaard and a bullpen, I, I like to think that Verlander will have something in his arsenal that may get Houston to win. So, um, they they would go to Houston if if Verlander is able to win. Suppose they win tonight, all right, and Verlander wins uh, game five. The Phillies still have a 3-2 lead going to Houston. Game six in Houston will be Framber Valdez at home versus Wheeler. And then in game seven, what does Dusty do? Because that lines up McCullers against Ranger Suarez again. Now, do you dare go to McCullers? What would you do in a game seven in Houston? Are you going to send him back out there? Dusty Baker probably will. I wouldn't probably go near the kid at this point, the way the Phillies flummoxed him. So uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting conclusion. But tonight, to me, if they win and they get three on the board, uh, whatever Houston does in game five, to me, would not matter. I think the Phillies can win one of those two games. If they don't beat Framber Valdez, they're going to have to win a game seven. That's going to stress a lot of people out on Sunday. But I, I just can't see it if you get up three to one and you win game three and there's the percentages of how much you win after you win game three. I can't see the Phillies losing it. All right, so last night was a spectacle in, um, uh, in Citizen Bank Ballpark. Oh, the celebrities come out for the World Series, don't they? Even in Philadelphia. So there was a parade of ex-Phillies in there last night. Let me just go down the parade. Utley shows up. Of course, he doesn't go in the field in typical Utley reclusive style. He stays in the suite. Utley, Howard, Rollins, Hamels, Chooch, uh, Manny Trio, Victorino was there. Ibanez, Raul was in the house last night. Sarge was in the house. Uh, J.C. Romero was in the house. Now, are you ready for this? It gets better than that. Guys that were lousy Phillies who played for a half an hour with the Phillies show up last night. Ben Revere shows up. Buddy. You got a lot of balls, Ben. I used to call him Benny, Benny Drib Little Dribbler. Ben Revere shows up. What Are you, are you kidding me? Uh, Jake Arrieta shows up. That dude stole about <laughs> like $30 million of the Phillies' money. He shows up. Are you ready? Dominic Brown. Oh, my God. These guys have no shame at all. Dominic Brown shows up last night. And Kyle Kendrick shows up. That's how much the, they're into this Philly thing. You could have played. You could have put on a, a pair of red spikes in your life, and you would have showed up last night and sat in a suite with a Philly connection. All right, now let's get to the celebrities that show up. Here's Tim McGraw. All right, now now Tim didn't know who his father was all those years. It happened to be Tug. He found out after the fact. Now he's a Philly guy. So Tug shows up with Faith Hill. I mean, Tim shows up with Faith Hill, flashing the, the Philly's jersey. Um, there's, a, there's an interesting little tug of war going on. It's like an arm wrestling match between who's the biggest current celebrity between Rob McElhaney and Miles Teller. They're arm wrestling each other for who the biggest Philly celebrity is. It's probably Miles Teller. McElhaney's really probably pissed. 
because Miles Teller does Top Gun 2, and now he's the big star, and McElhaney's been doing it. It's always sunny in Philadelphia for the last 17 years, and he's getting lower play than Miles Teller. Miles Teller's the guy's interviewed on Major League Baseball Network. Rob McElhaney wasn't. But Rob brought his wife. Now, you know who his wife is, Darren? Yeah, from the show. Yes, she's, her name is Caitlin Olsen, and she plays D in, in, in uh, what, uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. However, they're all, they're all married on that show. Charlie Day's married for the week. Yeah, yeah, but however, that wasn't her most notable role as far as I'm concerned. So where did Caitlin Olsen, Rob McElhaney's wife, first come on the scene? I, I can't answer that. I know she had another show on HBO, but I think that was after Sunday. Uh-huh. And you know what it is? You, you're a Curb Your Enthusiasm fan? I am. Oh, yeah. Caitlin Olsen was Cheryl's sister. Right. I remember that now. Yeah, she was. All right. So, so there you go. A little trivia question. But they all came out last night. And, of course, the first pitch was thrown um, in conjunction. I loved it. Dr. J comes out there. Bernie Perrant, Brandon Graham, and Mike Schmidt. Four bonafide Philadelphia sports heroes. Now I didn't see the first pitch. Did you see the first pitch? Who who had who had who had a hose and who didn't I, I think Bernie bounced it. <laughs> I don't think Bernie got it there. But but uh, Bernie well you know listen he's a goalie once he ever thrown anything. Yeah they all got it there except for Bernie. Okay. Yeah I didn't expect Bernie to and I, I did not see it live I saw it after the fact. Brandon Graham got there? With that muscly shoulder? Yeah. Uh, Brandon, Brandon Graham loosened up enough. First of all, they're not throwing 16 and a half feet. They're throwing like 25 feet. Yeah, I, I get it. And Cole caught. The other guys caught the ball, right? Cole was one of the catchers. Cole caught. Uh, yeah, right. Victorino, I think, caught a couple of the 08 guys that were at the, that were there. Like, yeah, I mean, so that's a nice moment. But but I, I can't get over the fact that Ben Revere and Dominic Brown Showed up last night. I'm like stunned by that development. Hey, hey, you know what I say to those guys? I salute. You, you want to think you're a Philly? Yeah, my my dad would go to Don Brown. You got some effing nerve showing up in this stadium tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's classic. I got to tip the hat to him, man, because they they feel so good about their their ten minutes as a Philly that they they showed up with the connection. That's beautiful. All right. So uh, here we are. Tonight. I'm going to the game tonight. Here's what I did. All right. Now, I had, I had tickets for uh, Thursday night's game before the rain out. Um, no, I'm sorry. Not Thursday night's game. Wednesday night's game. Tonight's game before the rain out. And then the rain out pushed my game to Thursday. But the Eagles play Thursday, and you, if you follow Mike Missinelli, you've been following the uh, Jacob Media Eagles postgame show. So Thursday night, we have to do an Eagles postgame show live from um, the casino. So I had to figure out a way to switch my tickets. So I put an SOS out on Twitter. Um, uh, a friend of a friend contacts the friend who contacts me and says, uh, yeah, I found somebody who wants to swap out your tickets. Now, I put out that they had to be comparable tickets. So uh, the guy he says, I've got section, uh, I forget what section it is, but it's, it's in left field. I had tickets on the third baseline. So my uh, dilemma was, do I not go to the game and preserve the other tickets? At four tickets, I was going with, with uh, three other folks. Do I make the decision to just give them the tickets and I step out of it, or do I swap the tickets for tickets that aren't as good as the ones I have? What would you have done in that situation? If those are my only two choices, I'm going to the game tonight. I go in left field. Yeah, you go left field. Throw left field. Throw left field. Okay, so that's what I did. Now I don't think I've ever sat in left field, but I've realized that I'm now in home run territory. So if even if I have a worse seat where I can't see the fan of vision. I can see a home run coming towards me. I might be able to snag one. And if I snag one, I get myself on national TV. That's how it works. Yeah. You're not bringing your glove to my, you're not bringing your glove. Are you? <laughs> you're going to be that, the, the, the gentleman with a glove. No, no. I'm not, do I look like a guy that would bring, do I look like a guy that would bring a glove? Come on. By the way, can we just stop for a moment? Can you think, just think, all right, they win tonight. Okay. Tomorrow night, you're doing an Eagles postgame show, and it could be at the same time 
that they're clinched the World Series in Philly. The pandemonium on the news tomorrow night. I don't think this city, the city's not going to survive. It's going to go, it's going to burn if that happens. Uh, it will, and it also will tell me that the, there won't be one person that is watching our post-game show live. <laughs> but, <laughs> no. but the thing about our post-game show is that you you can stream it anytime you want. So uh, so there you go. So Thursday, as I'm doing an Eagles, like studying and doing Eagles post-game show, I'll have to have one eye on the Phillies, one eye on the Eagles. Going to be a very interesting night for me, not that anybody cares. All right, let's quickly go to a couple other subjects uh, on this podcast today. And again, it's the Mike Vasnelli podcast. Uh, Bet Rivers brings it to you, and you can get it. Please, please spread the word because we've been doing a lot of these now during uh, the the World Series. We've been trying to do a podcast every day, and, and we're already up to eighteen podcasts. And it just like seems like we started yesterday. So tell your friends and neighbors to get the Mike Vasnelli podcast. You can download it very easily. People stop me all the time, Mike. How do I get the podcast? Well, all, all you get. If you're aware of podcasts, that they exist, any venue that 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 services a podcast, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, um, Amazon, Google, you can go to Google and type in the Mike Messinelli podcast and boom, you'll get it. It's also uh, YouTube. It's accessible through YouTube, all that stuff. So so just it's just a little tiny effort. And, and you can hook it up in your car with your phone and boom. And you're listening to the podcast at the same time you would have normally listened to my radio show. So people say, I miss you on the air. Well, listen to the podcast at the same exact time. Right? Easy peasy. I mean, I, I would if I wasn't here with you, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, it's the Mike Missanelli Podcast, and there's no more important guests that we've had on this podcast so far than our next guest. Of course, the 2008 World Series MVP, he's back in town for a little bit, and he's the great Cole Hamels joining us. Hello, Cole. Hey, how are you guys? Doing doing good. Now, uh, we're in the middle of this World Series, and uh, it's a beautiful thing because uh, getting back to the World Series has lit this town on fire. Uh, so uh, I'm curious to know how you see the rest of this series and whether the Phillies can pull this through. No, I mean, it's really exciting. I think, you know, to be able to see what the team's been able to do, uh, you know, obviously all of September getting in uh, and then getting hot at the right time. I think that's, you know, what we've always known as, as players. You, you want to be hot. You want to be clicking uh, at the right time and the right times of playoffs. And, you know, to be able to beat the teams that they did, um, you know, they're very good teams. And in the fashion, uh, you really do have to look at what home field advantage really means. And when you play at Citizens Bank Park, it really does hold up to that bargain. And I think that's what uh, the players are seeing. The fans are seeing it. And I, you really have to stand behind that excitement. Let me take you back to w- when you were obviously involved in, in, in this, this kind of an era in postseason games. A lot of people don't really uh, understand the total impact of that energy that comes out of the stadium. As a player, and especially a pitcher, because every focus is on a pitcher, what does that feel like? Uh, It's exhilarating. I mean, it does give you that extra boost. Uh, I know it does take a couple pitches, um, you know, to kind of calm yourself down uh, so that you're not running through your stop signs. Um, so that you can, you can execute, make good pitches, but you do know that you don't get tired uh, in that, in that type of environment, you are ready to go. You want to pitch nine innings, um, you know, and it's, you just feel like you have this extra focus uh, because you've got people behind you uh, and that support is everything that you need, uh, you know, in any sort of uh, element uh, to be able to go out and try to win. Did you ever get a jelly leg before you threw that first pitch? When you're standing there and warm-ups are done, and here it is, and, and you know, you're on, does the jelly leg come in? I think, you know, it's really funny. The first pitch is probably the most important. Uh, I don't think people understand, but when you can get that first pitch, that first strike out of the way, it's all of a sudden you can start breathing. Uh, and then you kind of get back into your game plan. It's there's something about it. You want to get it started. And that is once you can kind of get through that, you're like, all right, ready to go. I can do this. Listen, you're one of the, the great uh, uh, players in Philly history. When, when, when people list them, 
You know, you, 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 they're they're listening to Jimmy Rollins, to Chase Utley, to Brian Howard, to Cole Hamels. They're, you're right in that in that uh, that sphere there. Uh, how does that feel to you? And when you come back, um, how, how did, and you lived here for for a long time after after your career. So, what does that feel like to be around this environment again? Oh man, I mean, it is wild. Uh, you know, being able to play the game of baseball, uh, it's awesome. Uh, you know, to to do it as a uh, career. And I think it makes it extra special to be able to do it in this city uh, just because of how important they respect sports and how loved you can be when you do the job the right way. Uh, you know, they really do understand, you know, how sports is involved in everybody's life here and, and what it does. Uh, and so I think, you know, as a player, once you really grasp that, it takes on a whole new meaning of being a professional athlete in the city of Philadelphia. And, you know, you want to be the best. And I think when you're able to do that and put up good games uh, and obviously good seasons and win, uh, you know, championships and win awards, they respect that. They know it. And, you know, they kind of, they, they do see the hard work that you put in. It's funny because the national people look at Philadelphia and they go, uh, well, uh, you know, they're, they're rough, they're impatient, uh, and, you know, a lot of guys can't handle that, and it chases a lot of guys away. And I remember having a conversation with Kurt Schilling, and he said, yeah, that might be the case, but this is the best place to win they, 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 because they appreciate the win so much that whatever they're doing to get in on your butt uh, is overwhelmed by the fact that, you, that how much they appreciate you when you win. Is that no pretty accurate? <laughs> it's so true. No, it's – you – I would rather have people care uh, than not care. I'd rather have people show up than not show up. You know, if, if they're talking about you, I, I, you know, they always say that in the, in the sort of Hollywood lingo, you know, there's no good, bad press. Uh, if, if, if you're on the back page because you failed, you know what? It's because they know that you're going to succeed and they have high expectations for you. So, you know what? You just get down, grind a little bit more. All right, let's look at, at the series and, and the moves that this rain out has kind of. It's funny because every time the Phillies, someone seems like they experience a rain out in every uh, situation like this. But this uh, has c- kind of skewed the pitching as we go down the line here. So, uh, what Rob Thompson has decided to do, Nola in game four, and then uh, in game five, he says he's coming back with Syndergaard. Um, from, from afar, uh, what, how would you have jostled the rotation? Uh, I mean, I think that's pretty accurate. Uh, you know, I know Houston is not a – you can't take them lightly. Their lineup is, is tremendous. So, you know, putting up your best pitchers when you can, uh, you have to. And, you know, an extra day's rest. But, you know, if you if you do feel comfortable and confident that, you know, a player and a pitcher especially can say, hey, I can get the job done, you have to give it to them because it is. You want your guys to be at home and you want to get them as many opportunities to be able to succeed. So I think the off day really did help. All right, so I'm looking at Wheeler now because Wheeler normally would have gotten that game five, uh, and now they're going to give him an extra day's rest. And, of course, people are looking at it like, okay, his velocity dropped a little bit, so he needs that extra day's day's rest. Take take me through that where at this point of the season, everybody is worn down, and they're sacrificing a game five here to give him an extra day rest if they go to Houston. Is that the way to do it, or or would you – uh, rather have him pitch in front of a home crowd. Uh, I mean, you have to, he's one of the best and he's been one of the best for a while. And there's something that has to be said about putting your best on the road. Um, you know, that's not easy to win on the road. And so if you look at how, you know, Philly has done at home uh, and having that extra confidence, uh, having the home crowd, I would probably give the opportunity to, you know, everybody else and knowing that Wheeler can, it's probably your best bet on the road, especially on a game six, because if it does get to that, you know, those game six and those game sevens, uh, you know, that's, you want your, your guys that know how to handle being, uh, you know, the best in a hostile environment. What's this an extra day rest do for you? I mean, listen, you logged a lot of innings, so you know better than anybody at the end of the season. Uh, sometimes you, you know, you got to grab fumes and, 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 you know, turn that into something magic uh, at this stage of the year. How much is an extra day rest to help a guy like Wheeler? Well, I think, you know, his mindset is he knows he's not getting another game after. <laughs> so, you know, I think that will probably be the mentality. It's, um, you know, the, the rest is it's good on the body, but at the same time, 
I think these guys know that there are no more games after, uh, you know, when they go. So it's give it everything you have. Uh, you, you know, the next game you have is in spring training. So, you know, look at it like that. You know, that's, uh, I think, the mindset they need to have. Empty the bag. All right, let, yeah. let's look back a little bit at, at your career, which is uh, like an unbelievable career. And, and you, of course, you break in in 2006. Um, first, first game is, is uh, five scoreless. One hit, seven Ks versus the Reds. What do you remember about that? It was raining. <laughs> you know, growing <laughs> up in San Diego, you never pitched in the rain, uh, let alone did you barely ever go outside. Um, so, yeah, that was actually something funny where, you know, I didn't – I've never thrown in the rain. So, you know, you're nervous about getting your mo- your opening day, you know, debut and, uh, you know, in the big leagues, and you've got elements that I've never pitched in in my entire life. So there was uh, – you know, you kind of had those nerves. But once it is, like I just said – you get that first pitch out of the way, all the nerves disappear. You go, you go to what you do every day. You train and you just execute. And you just pitch with the catcher. And now, two thousand seven, you come into it as a major part of this team. And if I recall, you uh, went through a pretty strenuous uh, uh, weight regimen to get stronger for that for that possibility. It, it, do you, re- you remember doing that coming into two thousand seven? That you you thought you you needed to get stronger. Yeah, always. I mean, I think I still try to do that. I, I guess, uh, you know, certain genetics are great, um, but in the game of sports, you need, need to be strong. You need to be big, and especially if you're going to be a starter, to log as many innings as, as you can, you have to have some sort of weight behind you, and you have to have a weightlifting program. So, you know, that was a big focus, was learning how to finally lift and pitch every five days with the intention of pitching 200 innings, with the intention of going to the postseason. So it was a completely different mindset, and, you know, you just had to put the right people in front of you and get the right training and that was kind of what i was able to do is finally get a program that worked and, and of course it worked you're coming to 2008 which is great because 2007 you knew the phillies were on deck and you knew they were coming you knew they were, they were in the next team so here you come into 2008 and it, and it started a little rocky for you i think you had a little chip on your shoulder coming into 2008 with the salary structure i, I think you felt really put put upon that the phillies did not uh, they? You thought they underpaid you coming into that year. You, you, you what? Take me back to that. Well, I think that's that they don't understand the business, um, you know. And I guess that's why you have an agent. And you know, for me, it was it's new. You know, you're young, and you know, you just trying to voice I don't know discomfort, displeasure, but at the same time, it, it's so new as a business. And and you know what? I think what I learned was just worry about baseball. All good things will come after you've just played a game of baseball. You were you, you may have been the biggest bargain in the history of of, of professional sports because that year you played it like five hundred thousand dollars a year. I mean, to, really, I mean, to, that's when you think about it, it's almost ridiculous. Uh, but but of course that season happens, and and I mean it's just uh, it was just an amazing season. And from your viewpoint, uh, you just were the the guy. Uh, so what did that season mean to you? If you can look back to experience that season for me. Uh, you know, winning. Uh, I think when you, you finally you set goals every year, and, and to finally have something actually happen, and it is tough to win. And you know, you're playing against the best of the best. It's the big leagues. So when you set goals and you finally accomplish them, I think that right there was just an incredible experience. Listen, the numbers four and zero, one point eight zero, World Series MVP, five postseason starts. You started Game Five, the one that was interrupted. Now, I, I got to think that uh, like a golden moment for a pitcher is to deliver that. And, and here comes the rain. How, how disappointed was that for you? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, another rain game. Um, you know, I knew I just had to focus and bear down. We did not want to go back to Tampa. Uh, you know, you're, you're playing. Um, you know, we, we did. We, we felt comfortable and confident that we just needed to take care of business, you know, not let the rain affect us. Uh, and you know, when it finally did happen, I mean, shoot, I mean, the longest, probably what, 48 hours, uh, you know, to win a world series championship. So, you know, that's why it was that, that much special to be able to do it at home. Uh, you know, that, that right there, I mean, you can see it on all of our faces, uh, when you watch the videos and, you know, just how exciting, uh, it was to be able to do it and do it at home. And and you're sitting, you're in the dugout watching this when it resumes and Jeff Jenkins shows up. And bangs one off the wall, and and then Burl, who really had struggled, gets a monster hit. Uh, you know, what, what are you guys feeling in that dugout then when that happens? 
Well, I mean, everybody's pumped. I mean, we, we know how one run is, how important one run is, especially that late in the game. You know, the bullpen we had uh, with Matson and Lidge and Romero uh, and even Durbin. I mean, you know, and even Scott Air. we had guys that were stoppers and we knew they were going to put up zeros. So we just needed to get one. And that's what we did. Yeah, just an, an amazing time. Now, uh, the next year you, you go up because you sell – you're a celebrated player now and everybody wants your attention in that off season. And I, I remember being at a casino event with you and uh, you had gone from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And uh, I'm wondering when you look back at that, would you have done anything differently? Cause you came in 2009 and uh, I, I don't think that the preparation that you usually put in was there because you were distracted by all those things. T- take me to those, uh, those days. Well, I mean, it, it's a learning lesson. I think anything, it, learning how to manage, uh, you know, the different side of just being a kind of athlete. And, you know, there's different off-season regiments. And, you know, I, I chose, uh, made some different choices. But at the same time, it, it taught me something that, you know, I think helped me become a better pitcher in the future. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it would have been nice to be able to win again. Um, and I understand, uh, exactly, uh, you know, what type of part I played in the Oh nine. Um, you know, so it, it just, uh, there's always gonna be a chip. And I think that was kind of the chip that, that I had, uh, to try to make me better. Um, you know, but it, it was at a high cost. And, and so, you know, that's the tough part about sometimes when you do fail is, is sometimes failures, they, they can uh, sting a little bit and they last a lot longer than you anticipate, but you have to try to turn it into something positive. Well, 2010, 2011, you guys uh, led the major leagues in, in, in wins. And, and when, you, when you look back, and I've talked to other athletes that had a really great era of baseball and they regret that they didn't win more championships. Do you have any regret? That team was so good. Uh, in 2010, the, the Giants, and then 2011, the Cardinals. Does that sting a little bit? You can't discount the teams that we played against. I mean, obviously, we knew how good we were, and we had the expectations to go out and win, and that was, you know, what we were intending to do was to win and, and to bring another championship back to Philly. Uh, and we got beat, and, you know, you have to look at it as that Giants team and the Cardinals team. I mean, they won. So you ha- you have to give them the credit because they had the same intention, and they went out and they, they got the job done. So it's uh, that's what's crazy about baseball. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you wish you just had another, you know, series or, or another opportunity, another inning. Um, but I think that's what makes it special. When you do win, you start to realize how difficult it really is. Talking to the great Cole Hamels. Cole, I got to ask you about what you see in today's pitching because, to me, it's just hellacious. Uh, if you if you don't throw ninety five to ninety nine as a starter, uh, you probably don't get that much of a look anymore. And then they ask you to just get this get to five or six because we got all these hundred mile an hour bull, bulls in the in the bullpen. When, when you look at pitching today, what do you see? I mean, these guys are uh, they're studs. I don't know how to throw a hundred, so <laughs> you know it's. And I'm not really going to magically find a hundred in the in the tank, so. Uh, but the game of pitching is still, you still have to locate and you still have to keep guys off balance. So no matter, you know, how hard you throw guys can catch up to it. Um, you know, I, I know that we're, there was, uh, you know, something where you can even talk to the generations before even I played, you know, those guys were throwing 250 innings and, you know, we, we were only trying to throw 200. So, you know, we're always going to kind of, you know, talk down or the woulda, coulda and back in my day type of thing. But the game of baseball is very competitive and everybody's looking for the edge and you just have to kind of roll with it. Uh, you know, that's something that uh, if you can still pitch, if you can still keep guys off balance, you can still locate. I do think they'll give you an opportunity. It's just, it's not as easy an opportunity uh, or a shoe in as sometimes as you might think now. How are all these guys throwing a hundred? They're, they're sprouting like weeds today. Like how's that happening? I, you know, I think they've done a really good job with, you know, analytics does help, you know, video does help. And, and the strength training is now pretty evident of if you're able to kind of do it earlier uh, in guys' careers, uh, I think they can develop a little bit better. And then they do, they're, they're able to throw harder. Uh, I know that's the mentality and the expectation for training regiments now. And, and that's what they're looking at. Uh, I just don't know how long it'll last and I don't know how long those guys, how the injuries do creep up. And you just don't know until there's enough data 
uh, and enough time that goes by to see what's right, what's wrong. Uh, you, you pitched a lot. You pitched a lot of years, and and, and and I know there were there were whispers that you may come back here when you signed with the Braves, and uh, and you wanted to keep pitching. Um, when did you when did you know that you had to let it go? I don't know. I, I still haven't done that yet. So, <laughs> so you still have the itch to want to go out and pitch. Yeah, you know, that's. I think that's why I went and got my shoulder fixed. Um, you know, so I, I do. I still kind of grind away and, and want to give at least that one opportunity because, um, you know, it is. When you fully commit to something and you realize either it's there or it's not, uh, it's easier to kind of transition. And right now um, I'm still at that point where I know I can still – if my body allows me to throw a baseball, I know I can still throw it pretty well. And I, I know I still have the, uh, the pitching, uh, you know, sort of intelligence to be able to get guys out. Uh, you know, so it's a matter of being able to replicate that and getting that opportunity to do so. So you know, are you getting any, any feelers right now? I know you, you threw for, for a lot of teams the last year. Uh, so what's, what's the plan from this point on if you want to keep still pitching? Well, obviously rehab and trying to, you know, that's why I had surgery, had to, uh, you know, fix my shoulder. Uh, and it's just kind of going through the, uh, that process of letting it heal and build it back up. And it's, it's tedious, it's long. Um, but, you know, I just listen to the doctors and the trainers that I have and just, uh, you know, every day, just kind of putting one foot in front of the next and, and just kind of keep into a good training regimen. If you get through that training regimen, you find out that, you, I mean, is the goal that maybe you can maybe even throw harder with, with all that you know now and, and, and all the rehab and all the strength? Because guys, guys, get, guys get Tommy John surgery and when they come back and they just don't miss a bit and they, and they throw harder. And, and I'm curious to know, with, you know, if you go through this, get it fixed, go through the strength regimen, that you actually come back and throw harder. I don't think that'll be the case. I didn't have Tommy John, so <laughs> I know Tommy John's a little bit more of a, a shoe in and there's a lot more uh, information and, you know, the probability or the likelihood of, of the success is, is a lot better there. Shoulders are a little bit more tricky. Uh, and like you said, I've logged a lot of innings. Uh, so there's a lot of wear and tear in my joints. So it's a matter of seeing if I can just replicate it and, and uh, let me do well, I wish you a lot of luck with it because we'd love to, we'd love to see you back in baseball. <laughs> Thanks. But um, when you look when you look back at your career, what's what's the Cole Hamels highlight that you always that always pops into your head? What's the, what's the best moment of your career to this point? I, I mean, winning. Uh, there's nothing better than winning, and so I know that playoff. Uh, you know, the 08 playoff. Gosh, month. Um, you know, just how we were able to win those games, how we won it. it you know, how we came down in September to take over uh, and win the division. That right there was absolutely incredible. Uh, so I think that's kind of where you always kind of fall back on. That's where I always see it. And that bond you have with those guys, uh, you know, we still talk to each other. We still try to see each other. Um, we'll never forget it. We're always going to cherish it. And we're going to have that for, for our lifetime. So that's, that lasts a lot longer. Uh, than anything is is that sort of bond and and obviously like we just talked about the the importance of the city still recognizing that that's special. Did you have a particular bond with any particular teammate that you when you look back and said I love playing with this dude? Uh, I mean, you know, all of them. Uh, you, you can't just pick one because every single night there was always a guy that you could go grab dinner with, you could talk baseball. Uh, you know, our families were all close. Um, you know, there was, we never left anybody out. And so I think that's right there is very special. Uh, we didn't have any clicks. Uh, we were one group and, and we, and we treated it like that. And you can see it when, when, uh, we're together, uh, even now it's like, we fall right back into it. You've carved out a lot of memories in this city and, uh, people will remember you forever and best wishes. And, uh, let's see if the Phillies can pull off this world series. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. All right, our thanks to Cole Hambles for being part of the show. We really appreciate Cole uh, joining us. You know, a couple things that uh, I didn't touch on with Cole Hambles because, you know, listen, uh, I wanted to have a nice, smooth, happy interview. But um, I, I remember that uh, during the 2009 season, and I'll just share a little insights on this because I, I mentioned to Cole that I ran into him. I was doing an event at Casino, and he was a special guest. And I, I said, how are you feeling? I, uh, it was like January. And he goes, hey, he goes, I've been busy all season going here, going there. And he had, he like everybody and their brother wanted a piece of Cole Hamels that off season. 
And uh, I said, have, uh, have you thrown? He goes, no, I haven't even thrown yet. And that was in January. And I'm thinking, wow, he hasn't even thrown yet. He's way behind the curve. And I suspected it was going to be a, kind of a rough start for him. And it turned out to be a, a, a really a rough year because he, he wasn't like perfectly healthy. Uh, and, and that hurt the Phillies. But then by the end of the season, he, he picked it back up. But it was so frustrating that by the end of the season, if you recall, there was some uh, consternation in his own locker room because he was so frustrated. He said something that I know he didn't mean literally, but it came out um, really uh, as kind of a rub to his teammates and to the fans. He said, I can't wait for this to end, meaning the season. And the season wasn't over yet. The Phillies are going to go to the World Series. He said it's been a mentally draining year. It's one of those things where uh, uh, you, you just can't wait for a fresh start. Now, I know what he was saying. He was frustrated with himself. But that came off like, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not in it still. And, and they had a lot of games to play. So I remember Charlie Manuel criticizing him. Um, I remember Rich Doobie, the pitching coach, criticizing him. Because the fact of the matter is, Cole was a different type of cat. That's why they call him Hollywood. He wasn't the, the gritty Philly that a lot of those guys were. And, and hitters look down on pitchers anyway. They look at him as soft anyway, even though Cole Hamels was as tough as they come when he was right. Uh, but here is the thing I remember most. Brett Myers, who was a clubhouse uh, radical, kind of redneckish Brett was. I mean, anybody who cultivates pear moonshine all year in a ball jar in your locker kind of has that kind of, you know, that kind of redneck ish stuff. So um, after this quote happened, the next time Cole Hamill showed up in the clubhouse, Brett Myers snapped at him and said, Hey man, what are you doing here? I thought you quit. And that was like, you know, that's pretty harsh. Uh, so uh, yeah, he was able to rebound a little bit and give them a little bit of, uh, of pitching expertise in, in the world series and beyond. Uh, but anyway, thanks to Cole Hamels uh, for doing that. All right, uh, let's quickly uh, go with the Sixers, who, who, get, who get no play these days. But the Sixers have righted the ship a little bit. Uh, the, the, their subs are finally meshing better, which I thought would happen. They've won a couple games with Adam Bede and, uh, and Maxi, man, Maxi. I mean, <laughs> the, the kid is just phenomenal. So uh, there'll be a time when we pay a lot of attention to the Sixers. It ain't now. And unfortunately, we're not paying that much attention to the Flyers either. Uh, all right, so let me get into some uh, parting shots as we close down uh, this uh, uh, podcast. And um, it, let's first of all, with the basketball theme, let's let's start with the, the new, uh, Brooklyn Nets, who uh, fired Steve Nash. I, I have never seen more of a mess than that franchise. Uh, it's a it's a disaster right now. Let's let's look at the 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 nutbags that they have on that team right now. First of all, Kevin Durant, for a great player, is oblivious to how he has uh, has messed up the Nets. Here's a guy who, before the season, demanded a trade or demanded the firing of his coaching staff, then reluctantly limps back when there there wasn't a market uh, as much as he thought there would be a market. Uh, so now and then his 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 cohort is is immersed in complete insanity. Uh, I, I don't like I don't know when Kyrie Irving got insane, but the, he's totally insane now with all his stupid theories. And, of course, his anti-Semitic well, he should be suspended for his anti-Semitic uh, uh, flavors. Uh, and, and so all that's going on. But now here's what they do. They hire Amy Udoka. In place of Steve Nash, which proves one thing, that one man's sin doesn't carry over to another man's entity, especially when that entity, uh, the broken Brooklyn Nets, like they have no qualms about bringing this guy embroiled in a sexual harassment scandal that got him fired. Let's bring him in and have him right the ship. People don't have any pride anymore. So now let's go to uh, Ben Simmons. Hasn't played the last couple of games. I haven't been paying attention. What's he heard again? I don't know. But here's what I'll say about Ben Simmons. He has evolved into Carson Wentz journeymanville. He, he was once a prospect that people thought could be Giannis. He's now nothing more than a journeyman. And that's what happens when you don't love your profession as much as you love yourself. 
He is the number one villain in the history of Philly sports. And I had to laugh when all these Nets yahoos preseason, all you people in Philly don't know what you're talking about. Ben's going to work out fine with this team. He blends in perfectly. He does, huh? Look at what you got now in Brooklyn. And that guy is a major part of the problem. He's Carson Wentz in the NBA. All right. A couple other parting shots. Britt Reed. Britt Reed, the son of Coach Andy Reed, got three years in prison for his role in a, a car crash, alcohol-fueled car crash that left a little girl in serious uh, uh, disability shape. He got three years. His lawyer had the balls to ask for probation for the guy. This is a guy, trouble follows this kid, like the trouble followed the other kid. And uh, in the courtroom, apparently Andy Reid was not there at the sentencing. Now, I got to ask you, Darren, you're, you're, a, you're a parent, right? Um, I don't know what's going on in that family to make those kids so messed up. Uh, but if, if your kid's about to get sentenced, do you should you be in the courtroom to support them or should you hide behind the fact that you're a high personality, high profile uh, NFL head coach and stay away because you know, people are going to want to ask you questions. There's no question. You have to be there. We, you know, as a father, as a parent, as a man, right? You are a parent first. Anything that defines anything I have in my life that defines me, I'm a, Father first. Anything in your life that defines you, you are a father first. And it's upsetting to 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 hear that Andy was not there. That's it really is, because if that's my kid, listen, not everybody has darling daughters like I do and like you do, and who are, you know, salt of the earth people. But it's still his kid. And you're and you have the responsibility as that kid's father to support him. Obviously, you can't condone. I'm not I'm not saying him being there would condone it, but you have to support your your child in that situation. It, it is it is. And there are some things with that family. Look, there's there's a lot of smoke around that family. There's a lot of history in that family. There's a lot of information and things that some people are privy to know that. Uh, so a lot of this isn't all that surprising to me. Uh, but it is upsetting that Andy was not there. He's a dad first. All right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, Andy, Andy's really, uh, he, it's probably beside himself because somewhere along the line, he's got to figure that uh, he, he has failed his children in, in this kind of way, that he was so absorbed with football that these kids grew up uh, in, a, in a down a different track than they could. I don't know what it is, but uh, you're probably right. I, I probably would have been in that courtroom. Uh, as well. All right, let's move on uh, to a couple other things. Let's move on to the Fox baseball panel. This has been bugging me now for a really long time. I've been watching the pregame and the postgame. And Kevin Burkhart is a true pro. The rest of the show blows. All right? A-Rod adds nothing. And if I hear A-Rod, it's the same narrative every show. He's got to tell me about his association with Kevin Long and Tomper. At every show, it's the same. Red, I know, I get it. You were around Rob Thompson; he's great. Kevin Long was great. You say it every week, like you haven't said it before. He's awful. David Ortiz, Poppy, I want you to sit there and explain to me. You can you can send me an email, Mike at MikeMiss.com. Please explain to me what David Ortiz, Poppy, adds to the show. He adds nothing to the show except fancy glasses. He never has any insight. And then Frank Thomas. Uh, Frank, listen. You're very successful doing those, uh, those, um, um, those commercials for the testosterone. <laughs> I get it. You're a great testosterone pitchman. But you stink as an analyst. That's a terrible panel. All right? Fox. Your your presentation of the game is good. I kind of like that, Joe Davis. And and John Smoltz talks a lot, but he has pretty good insights. That pregame and postgame show stinks. What is Poppy Ed? I'm poppied out. I'm sorry. Poppy Poppy gets a little sloppy, Darren. <laughs> you hit it on the head about Joe Davis. It's awful. Poppy, the, the whole pregame show is pandering. 
It's all it is, is pandering. Joe Davis is phenomenal. He has been a star. Yeah, I think I like him. I think he's good. Uh, and I think Smoltz is, is listen, listen, he talks too much. All right. He, he needs to let the game breathe. But his insights are always right on. So I don't mind it if his insights are going to be right on. Uh, all right. One last thing. Uh, and it's the dreaded political moment uh, of the sh- of the podcast. Um, election day is next week. I I appeal to you folks. I appeal to you. Please, people in Pennsylvania, if you're listening to this, please don't come close to electing that caveman, Doug Mastriano. And and if you're in Georgia listening to this show, please, please don't elect that fool. Herschel Walker, don't embarrass this nation any more than it's already been embarrassed by somehow putting those two guys in office. I beg you. I plead with you. All right. That ends the political part of this show. I want to thank Cole Hamels for joining us. Thanks, Cole. We really appreciate it and appreciate your insights. And another podcast is coming at you tomorrow. And uh, it kind of be like a live commentary. I'll give you my impressions of being at the ballpark during a World Series and maybe catching a home run ball tonight. Aaron Nola versus Christian Javier. If the Phillies win, they're up 3-1 and they win the series. If not, well, our sphincters get a little tighter. Everybody have a great rest of the evening. Anticipate the ball game tonight. What do you got, Darren? I've got some breaking news. We got to get, all right, who's our guest for tomorrow? Tomorrow on the Mike Missinelli podcast, Brad Lidge. The closer. Brad Lidge tomorrow on the Mike Missinelli podcast. I tell you what, we're pulling out all the stops for you. And we tell your friends and neighbors about the Mike Missinelli podcast. It's cool, man. It's fire. All right, this is Mike Miss. Have a great night uh, um, the re- for the rest of the night. And if you're going to the game, have fun. Be safe out there. If you're watching it on TV, get your popcorn ready because we're all ready. We'll talk to you later. It's Mike Miss. I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.